Thank you. Go ahead, and you can be seated. I um, this last week actually thought about. You may remember um, when I first started trying to encourage everybody this past year, bring a physical Bible to church. I want to encourage you to do that. Um, it's great to have our digital apparatuses. We're not opposed to digital apparatuses, but there's something so healthy about the whole turn the page challenge, get in the Word, um, just bringing your Bible. Um, but if you remember, when I first did that, I didn't really think it through, and I got up and began to read from this Bible and couldn't read from this Bible. Uh, you know, just realizing my vision, I usually wear glasses to read up close. And I thought about this this week before we heard from uh, the Destiny Table in New York, and I just was kind of reflecting on the Lord really did a healing work in my eyes because I think he just knew that I wanted to be able to have uh, a physical Bible that was, you know, perpetuating that. And, um, and I was just celebrating that and thanking the Lord for that healing work in my eyes. I mean, you know, you can just say, well, I'm just getting old, and that's just the way it is, and I just resist that in Jesus' mighty name. Can I get some faith in this room in agreement? Come on, just because you're getting old doesn't mean you're falling apart in the name of Jesus. We want to declare and rise above some of those limitations that we sometimes just so easily embrace. So I just realized that the week, uh, this week, standing up and just reading Scripture is a declaration that God is at work, even physically, uh, in this house. And so we just agree for that <clears throat> to continue. So turn in your old-fashioned Bible to 2 Corinthians 10, if you have those, and we'll uh, get to that in just a few moments. But we're talking about this idea of algorithms, and we want to revisit this today. Um, just so you're aware, this is, uh, we only have one more week of our two-service format, and then we step into what we have been talking about, our summer hours, where we're going to have one service. The cards are on your seats, just a reminder, that one family service coming the last Sunday of May. And then we're, our intention is just to remain at one service until we find ourselves at 70% um, occupancy. And then we'll start revisiting again the need to go to two if, if uh, we move into that in the near future. So one thing, let me just be honest with you and just say one thing that I think the Lord's dealing with all of us on is we're just laying down the pursuit of the feeling of needing to succeed at the metrics that the world wants to measure. And I just want you to understand our goal and our desire as a church family is that you grow deeper in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Not that we grow more people in seats and have, you know, whatever... Our, I mean, I'm so thankful for our Destiny Table in New York. I'm so thankful for so many expressions and all that. Those things are not... Um, the accolades that we're chasing after. We want the attention of God, and we want people to grow deeper in the Lord. And I just have to tell you, as we get started today, I, was, I found myself burdened yesterday. I, uh, we, we had the send on. If you're watching that uh, going on right now, it's just this great gathering and this phenomenal worship and ministry, and we just had it playing all day on, on the TV. And I just found myself watching a couple of times thinking, you know, I really want to lessen the gap of disconnect between the message we hear as Christians and the life we live as God's kids, God's sons and daughters. You, you catch what I'm saying. 
In other words, this is not just about coming and celebrating a message. This is about really being the people God's called us to be. That is the inheritance of Christ that exists within us, and let that be awakened. I just felt the Lord saying today he's going to really break into some deep areas that need to be broken up in our lives. So, you know, how's that feel? Anybody, anybody a little nervous about what the Lord might be about to break into in your life? Because you probably should be. So, um, I, I, Lord, I just stand at the front of the line today and say there is ground that needs to be broken up so that seed can be planted in that ground. And I just believe that there are some areas in our lives that have become somewhat like concrete that just has to be broken up. We've, we've allowed ourselves to develop so many various conclusions and perspectives that may have nothing to do with your kingdom. And uh, we just invite you, Lord, to help us. Help us to have wisdom and revelation. Help us to see your word and view even the reading of your word when we gather like this from a perspective that is not cooperating with the Western world concept of presenting church as a religious product to attract consumers to come and get their church on. But Lord, we just really want to grow deeper. And we know there's a cost with that. There's a price. So take us deeper, we pray, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm just going to skip all my intro stuff and get right to it. What do you say? Let's go deep real fast. Because it ain't getting any cooler in this room, I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> I'm going to talk to you today about what I want to call pre-decisions. And this whole concept of algorithms and these perpetual feeders to the conclusions and decisions and behaviors of our lives... Um, have you ever talked to somebody and it was like they had their mind made up and no matter what you said, it was not going to change their made up mind. How many of you know that's many times what it's like when God's trying to have a conversation with us? Uh, so many times we've already decided what we're going to be bitter about and we've chosen just to be bitter. Um, and so you know, what we're going to be angry about, we've chosen just to be angry. What we're going to be resolved about, and we've chosen just to be resolved. And then we'll apply the Bible, but don't tamper with my political. Don't tamper with, you know, whatever that may be. Don't tamper with my pornography. Don't tamper with my deeper areas of life. I mean, you know, God wants to be all up in your business. <laughs> and, and we've got to allow him to go into some spaces and some places that I just think it's too easy to show up and hear a nice little message and walk out and just say, well, that was good. I'll be back next week. Not really allow that to digest and begin to have this transforming impact and effect uh, within our lives. And so pre-decisions really reach into this deeper space of our lives. And so there are decisions that you make but what I want to challenge you to understand, there are pre-decisions that you already made. Decisions are decisions that you make. Pre-decisions are actually decisions that were already made 
from a deeper place in your life. Sometimes you think you're making a decision, but you're not. You're simply acting on the pre-decision that was already made long before you came to that point of decision. I want us to try to understand that today. And in order to do so, we've got to just dig a little deeper in this concept. And we're going to find this in 2 Corinthians in just a moment. But understand this as a basis of where I'm coming from. Predecisions speak of conclusions that we draw. And they become deeper arguments in life that tend to drive our decisions. So they're conclusions that become arguments that drive our decisions that produce our behavior. We've already kind of made some conclusions, and out of those conclusions, then uh, we, out of those conclusions, we make our decisions. And, and this is not necessarily a bad or good. It's just the reality. It can be bad and it can be good. How many of you know it's good to have conclusions drawn in your life that are aligning to God's Word? Those are called righteous strongholds, and we all need those holding us in place. But it is bad to have conclusions we have drawn that are contrary to God's Word, and those are bad strongholds that can keep you from that whole um, inheritance that Jesus died to awaken within us. And so it's been interesting. Tracy and I, over the years, we've, we've marveled at this, to be honest with you. We've talked through a lot of it. Um, but many times someone will come and they'll say, uh, I'd like to ask your advice. Have you ever had somebody come and ask you for advice? And, and you quickly realize when they're asking you for advice, they're really not asking you for advice. They're asking you for endorsement. They're, they're not trying to get you to help them make a decision. They've already made a decision. And they're about to pull the trigger on that decision, and it's going to produce a public behavior, and people are going to see the behavior, and they want to be able to point to you and say, well, I asked their counsel, and that's why I did what I did. But the truth is, it all started with a conclusion that was drawn before the decision was ever made, before the behavior was ever seen. And we've got to get down to the basis of these conclusions. God's really wanting to dig deep into the foundation of our lives. I'll guarantee if you're a fussy person and just, you know, negative, and we've talked about breaking some of that, that's not just happening because you're in a moment, you know, having these reactions. It's because something deeper is going on in your life. Maybe something deeper has gone on in your life, and there are these conclusions that you've drawn, driving the decisions that you make, producing the behaviors that you have. This is the progression, and we need to understand it if we're really going to allow God to do a deep, transforming work in our lives. I don't... I'm not talking about dressing up your bad attitude with a better attitude so you can represent the Lord well. That's just a bunch of fake plastic mask stuff, and the kingdom of God is not about that. What I'm talking about is repenting when you allow things in the foundation of your life to take hold that should have never, ever had a place in your life to begin with. And then God begins to heal you on the deepest level of your life and it begins to produce something in you beyond the pretend stuff that we see so often in religious circles of our day and we want God to actually heal. Confess your faults one to another, pray for each other so that you'll be healed. I'm going to admit when I have a weakness so that God's hand reaches deep in the foundation and in the root structure that's trying to hold me in place to go the wrong direction and be healed. You can be healed today. We're celebrating healing today. Not just physically, but emotionally, mentally, spiritually, in every way. Let there be healing in Jesus' mighty name. 
So what we want to do is understand this deeper nature of what God's trying to deal with within all of us. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 10 is just such a powerful text of Scripture. We're going to start in verse 3. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish what? Strongholds. Strongholds. I don't think there's enough conversation about strongholds today. We are in a spiritual battle. How many of you know there are demonic forces that are trying to sift you and your children and your children's children and beyond them into a mindset and a disposition that holds them on course according to a generational curse? And I say today, let it be broken in Jesus' mighty name. Let it be broken. We actually have power to demolish strongholds. You have power to demolish strongholds. You have power to demolish strongholds. What are strongholds? Well, it goes on and explains it. Verse 5, very interesting. We demolish arguments. Strongholds deal with these deeper conclusions that we've drawn that take us to decisions that we make that produce behaviors that people see that are actually the result of strongholds. And I just feel the Lord breaking into some hard territory in some of our lives, the attitude that we hold that might not line up with what Jesus desires for our lives are born from conclusions that we've drawn that produce decisions that we make that lend to behaviors that we see. Strongholds, arguments. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. This is exactly it. Every pretension, every idea of the knowledge of God. We don't want anything that would be contrary to that. Take captive every thought. If you don't imprison your thoughts, your thoughts will imprison you. So take captive, and that's what he goes on to say. Sets himself up against the knowledge of God, and we do what? We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Isn't that funny? Listen to me, little thought. You're going to sit down in the chair and submit to the Lord Jesus right now. I mean, that's what we have to do in our brain. Don't let thoughts run through your head that are contrary to God's Word because those thoughts will become ideas and those ideas will become attitudes and those attitudes will produce an atmosphere and that atmosphere will produce a climate and that climate will become the culture of your life. So we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ, verse 6. I love this. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Well, there's a mouthful here. <laughs> Last week we talked about the idea of religion erroneously teaching us to be nice so that we won't be bad, to be good so that we won't mess up, to uh, you know, try to get things in a, a positive place so that we won't have them in a negative place. 
But the focus is all wrong. The Bible doesn't actually endorse such teaching. Now, religion does, because again, what I'm talking about, this is a, the essence of dressing up what actually exists deep within you rather than dealing with that which is going on to produce the behavior. That's why the Bible says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, live by the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Religion says stop fulfilling the lust of the flesh. Stop doing that. Don't do that. You want to live by the Spirit, don't you? Try not to be bad so you can learn to be good. The Bible doesn't say that. It says live by the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Awaken your spirit and just see what kind of strength comes out of your life. Get in the Word and in a place of prayer. Look and see the strength of God that begins to be awakened in moments of temptation. Live by the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Luke 18 says men ought always to pray and not to faint. Try not to faint. You're a Christian. You don't want to faint. You don't want to be faint-hearted. You don't want to faint. You're a Christian. You want to represent the Lord well. That's not what it says. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. If you're praying, you're not fainting. If you're fainting, you're not praying. Rise up and be everything God's called you to be. And process what he's called you to process. Again, guys, get in the Word. If the only time you're eating in the Word is when you're being fed at church, then you are spiritually now malnourished all week long. And it's no wonder you're not spiritually strong when you're spiritually malnourished. I love this verse, and it substantiates everything that we talked about last week that I'm reiterating right now, verse 6. It talks about punishing disobedience. When? When your obedience is made complete. In other words, get it right spiritually, and then you'll be positioned to think correctly You'll draw correct conclusions that will lead to good biblical decisions that will then produce Christ-like behavior as a result of the very conclusions of what you've been renewing your mind to in the very origin of your life. You know, we've been uh, on this journey parenting now for quite some time, Tracy and I, and it's really exciting to see the girls coming close to graduating college, and I'm, I'm doing quite a bit of reflection on what it's been like to raise the two of them, and they're so different. It's so interesting and intriguing, and, uh, you know, you would think two kids that come from the same two parents would be, you know, really a lot alike, but nope, that's not the case. Uh, and so just watching the two of them, it's always been interesting. But one thing we've, we've seen with both of the girls, waking the girls for school over the years has always been very different from waking the girls for vacation over the years. If we were going to go to Great Wolf Lodge and we're waking the girls, how many of you know they wake up very differently? I mean, we have one of our girls, uh, even when she wakes up, she's still asleep, and I don't want to embarrass Faith, but ultimately, she doesn't really open her real eyes until like 11. Now, her eyes will be open looking at you, but there's nothing registering. But when we're actually going on vacation or somewhere, her real eyes open early. I mean, it's amazing. There's a difference. I doubt there are very many parents over the years that have had to pry their children out of bed on Christmas morning, right? Why is this? It's because there's something deeper going on in your heart that contributes to the behavior of your life, and that's what I'm trying to dig at today. Decisions are the result of predecisional perspectives that actually exist within your heart. And when your heart is awakened to something that you're hungry for, it'll change the way you make decisions about those things. Genesis 39 tells this story about Joseph resisting seduction. 
Potiphar's wife was trying to entice him. And it's really interesting, but his ability to resist temptation in that moment didn't come to him in that moment. His ability to resist temptation in that moment came from predecisions he had already made that he was going to honor the Lord and not give in to lustful thoughts. So let me ask this question to everybody in the room and everybody online with us today. What kind of predecisions have you been making that's setting the stage for where you're going to go and what you're going to do in a moment where that situation might come your way, whatever that may be? Because if you don't address the deeper conclusions beneath your behavior, then listen carefully. The decisions you find yourself making will keep frustrating the purposes of God for which you were created. And my goodness, that is maddening. Anybody relate to that? I mean, I, I want to do the good stuff. I, I, I know this one guy, he, he said, the things I want to do those are not the things I find myself doing. And the things I don't want to do, those are the things I find myself involved in. Have you ever heard this guy? He's found in Romans chapter 7. It's the Apostle Paul. I mean, come on, there's this internal battle going on. And it's being born from an internal argument that exists within you. And if you'll get your conclusions aligned with the truth of God's Word, it will produce within you the ability to make decisions born from conclusions that are aligned with God's Word that will give behaviors that will glorify Christ. Conclusions we draw drive decisions we make producing behavior we see. This is why effectively addressing the deeper conclusions within you is what will slowly begin to transform you into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, really, the Lord our God, our Father. How many of you want the character of your Father to exist in your life? What does it mean to have character? It's a really good insight. Like This is, this is worth a, a whole series, definitely a whole sermon, but let me, let me just give you a summary uh, idea to be able to walk away with to understand character ask any rabbi the number one confession about god and they'll all the same they'll all say the exact same thing what is the number one confession about god the lord our god is one god now we as christians don't find that to be this uh, really you know exciting confession but every rabbi you would ever ask uh, would say the same the most important confession about god is the lord our god is one and the reason, this speaks of character, because what it's saying is there is no duplicity in God. God is the same no matter who he's in front of, no matter who's in front of him. He'll never change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Lord our God is one God. Have you ever had a friend and they were one person in one group of people and they were another person in another group of people? Have you ever had that friend? You can't trust that person, can you? Why? Because they are not behaving in a way that actually is in alignment with their design because they were created in the image of the Lord our God is one God. You're supposed to be one person all the time. You're supposed to be one person. When you're with a group of people, you're supposed to be one person. When you're alone by yourself and nobody's watching your behavior, that still should be the place you're being, that one person. You don't change. The Lord our God is one. It's about character. Everybody say Character. God wants to instill this within us today in a powerful way. There are alphanumeric characters. And those characters are always the same. It doesn't matter if it's a casual note to a friend or a formal letter to the president. The characters always are the same characters. 
If you want to have good, strong character, then you function in, a, in agreement and in alignment. The Lord our God is one God. I want to be one person. I don't want somebody who comes up to me with, you know, I have a great, tremendous, whatever, uh, you know, a starstruck disposition. When I remember one time I, I was walking uh, through a hotel with somebody who's really well known. It was when we had Evander Holyfield actually come to our church, and I walked him into the hotel, and I'll never forget walking through the lobby of the hotel. It was like every time we would take a step, the next group of people would see him, and they all just kind of stood there, and they just were watching. And, and the guy at the, at the desk, he was like fumbling. He said, what, what's your room? And he knew, you know, this is like the, whatever, how many times, four-time world heavyweight champion of the world. And he's talking to him. He goes, and he finally, he just said, I, I'm sorry, sir. I'm just starstruck. And I remember standing there thinking, it's funny how things change about the expression of our lives depending on who we're standing in front of. The Lord our God is one. You can have confidence in the Lord your God in such a way that it doesn't matter how famous somebody may be that ever stands in front of you. If you know who you are in the Lord your God who is one, then the fear of the Lord becomes your strong confidence. And you've got foundational conclusions that are actually producing decisions even in that moment that will legislate behaviors that will be aligning to the very character of God that he placed within you. Now, I love this thought, and I want you to try and track me with it. My instinctive response can be decisions Jesus would make about my life if I'm practicing predecisions from conclusions that I've taken from God's Word. In other words, I can have this impulsive behavior that is aligning to the character of God where I am remaining true to the one person God's called me to be, designed me to be. It's like Joseph alone with Potiphar's wife. Impulse control is possible in a moment even when you don't have time to process the decision of temptation at hand. I mean, is this mind-boggling or what? Because we like, feel like we live in a society where we're just given to you know, waves of temptation. And I just say, God wants to do a deeper work in you than that and establish a character that is unchanging no matter what circumstance may come your way. This is where our instinctive response becomes aligned with the decisions Jesus would make, even when I don't have time necessarily to think it all through. So this is the way it works. There's this this graphic that's popping up, and it shows the progression of the words I stated earlier. It's born from this book about transformation and change. And it all starts, uh, thoughts are to culture what seeds are to forest. And so thoughts sustained, it's the other graphic, the 180 graphic. Thoughts sustained produce ideas. On the side, you can see, you can put this down. We'll go to this later. How y'all doing? The 180 on the sides would be great. I think I'll have a drink. This describes the process of change. And that process is this progression. Thoughts are to culture what seeds are to forests. 
What's the culture of your life? And where did the culture of your life come from? It came from your way of thinking. This is the way it works. The progression shows this. kind of hard to see from where you are. But thoughts sustained lead to ideas. Ideas sustained produce an attitude. Anybody here have an attitude? Yes, you do. Everybody has an attitude, and everybody's attitude comes from the same place. What you've been thinking about. That's where your attitude comes from. Thought sustained produces ideas. Ideas sustained produces an attitude. Attitude sustained produces an atmosphere. You're known by the attitude that you have. People either love the positive atmosphere of your attitude or they run from the negative atmosphere of your attitude. Thoughts, ideas, attitude, atmosphere. Atmosphere sustained produces a climate. The climate begins to dictate that which is going to grow in that region of what your attitude and atmosphere has been producing. And ultimately, climate then sustained becomes the culture of your life. This is the progression of what's taking place in your heart from a deeper place in your life. And it all goes back to what you're thinking about. And the culture of your life actually becomes the legacy that you leave in the lives of people around you. There are people that should be inspired by your faith and positivity and your declaration and constant sense that no matter what comes your way, you're not going to allow it to get you down because you were born for more than that. It doesn't matter if you take the promises of God and you crucify him to a cross and you bury him in a tomb. Three days later, they're coming back to life. I don't know what kind of discipline you've been facing and walking through but I'm telling you right now the culture of your life does not have to settle for less than God's very best of everything he desires for you and the legacy beyond you we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ and we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once our obedience is complete Renewing our mind, there are elaborate complexities producing perspectives that are creating internal arguments that some of you are having with me right now in this room. Elaborate complexities that are creating these internal arguments that some of you are struggling with right now online. In other words, I hear what you're saying, but, I know that's what the word says, but, I've got all this going, I realize God can't but. How I many you know we've got our butts way too big in the kingdom of God? And we need to stop with having a big butt in the way of the promise of God and just recognize God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond, no matter how big your butt may be. This is why we desperately need to invite God's way of thinking into our everyday lives in a place of prayer and reading the Word. Tracy asked me this last week to do this. We were talking, and she said, you know, we need to have this up just to remind everybody and, and communicate something of really important essence. And it's that graphic of the, the uh, translation. So let me just point something out. It's pretty important that you understand when you're reading the Word. You're not reading the original manuscript of Scripture, okay? I want you to understand that. I, I love it that we have a variety of translations, and you hear me referencing a number of different translations. But there are 
reasons that there are differing translations, and I just want to communicate something to you. If you can put the translation graphic up in, in the progression of this. If you start all the way over here on my left, you'll see the interlinear, uh, and you can actually find this online, Bible, Hub, I mean, just search a scripture online and, and all kinds of options pop up. But the interlinear literally takes word for word. You see the left side is word for word. Now let's make sure we all understand when we're evaluating this, these are true translations on this side of the screen. When you go all the way over here and you find something called the message, people call that the message Bible, it's actually not a translation of scripture. It's a paraphrase. Now I'm not knocking it, we'll reference it at times, but you have to understand, it's a paraphrase of Scripture. It's not a true translation. The difference is, um, you've got over here, New American Standard is the, the stellar far left. If you're not going to go like word for word in the interlinear, then what you'll find is the New American Standard uh, is the strongest word for word translation. And then the English Standard, and then the, new, or the King James, and then the New King James. Those are more word for word translations of the Bible. And then we get into some of the more readable translations some might say, of course, the English Standard is one of the best readables. That's, that's kind of my go-to now. Uh, I love the NAS, the New American Standard, but the English Standard is so readable and so accurate. I love where it is on the spectrum and the scale. Then we go into these other translations, and they're more thought for thought than they are word for word. In, order, in other words, I'm translating the thoughts of what I'm reading in the Bible in, in phrases and expressions and thoughts. And then we go to the paraphrase, and this is the general idea or my interpretation interpretation of, of what I'm reading in Scripture. I just want you to get a picture of this so that you understand. Rule number one, don't be married to a single translation, okay? It won't serve you well because it's not the holy writ of Scripture. The original manuscripts are unquestionable. They are preserved by God. God's Word is inerrant. God's Word is infallible. We cherish the sacred nature of God's Word, but we do not treat any translation as if it is a sacred nature of Scripture, if you're really going to study, I mean, we've had people sitting in the church that actually have had the original manuscripts. When we're reading left to right in the, in the Hebrew, they were reading, in, in the Old Testament, they were reading right to left because they were looking at the original. How I many you know preaching to somebody like that can be a little bit intimidating? But the Lord our God is one God. I'm not here to try and prove myself or earn you know, some kind of accolade from anybody who may be smarter than me. Or This has nothing to do with that. And the problem in the church is we've actually treated kind of platform element and, and leadership elements like the world has. You've got to find the smartest, brightest, most charismatic, and it has left people that are powerful, feeling paralyzed. And I say enough, mighty men and women of God, rise up and be everything God has called you to become. Stop with the standard of comparison that we might really step into everything God's desiring. And this begins in your life by being a student of the Word. Study to show yourself approved. I have found myself growing weary at times with conversations with people who give all the reasons why they just don't have time to get into the Word. And I thought, man, over the generations, how frustrating has it been for God to hear all those excuses? I'm just telling you, if you're going to become everything God's called you to become, you're going to have to address the deeper issue 
that is going on, the conclusions of your life before the decisions that you make producing behaviors that become the pre-decisional atmosphere of your life begins to be addressed by reading the word. Last statement I'll make, uh, worship team, if y'all would come. Reading the Bible redeems the conscience. (laughs) Reading the Bible redeems the conscience. You allow yourself to reflect on things that you shouldn't reflect on in your conscience. The Bible actually speaks of one point in your life where your conscience can actually become seared or completely insensitive to any convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Hey, you know that dirty joke? I'm not interested. That's not a platform presentation. Don't you ever try and come tell me a filthy joke personally. I just won't have it. Because the Lord our God is one. Your TikTok nonsense that is questionable and inappropriate, I'm not against TikTok, I'm not against Reels, I'm not against any of that, but don't you send me anything that you might think is funny that would be grievous to the heart of God. Did I, did I go too old-fashioned for you? We, we live in a day where the church is more trendy, hip, and cool than that. Let me tell you something. We'll never make a difference if we keep trying to be like the world. I'm not trying to be cool according to the world standards. I want to walk with my God. We'll never stand out if we keep trying to fit in. And you weren't called to fit in. You were called to stand out. And sometimes you're going to take some shots because of it. Because you're called to be different. Redeeming the Bible. I'm sorry, reading the Bible redeems the conscience and increases awareness of the presence of God. I just want to be aware. I'm learning more and more when I go to bed at night. I'm just laying there and I'm, Holy Spirit, just awaken things within me while I'm in my sleep. Let me have interaction with you. And then when I wake in the morning, it's just like, Lord, help me to have a sense of the nearness of God. And through the course of the day, I'm just rehearsing verses of Scripture here and there, just practicing these popcorn prayer. Thank you, Lord, just for the goodness of God. Lord, I just feel your presence right now. I want to acknowledge it and I want to know that more. Just through the course of the day. Come on, men and women of God. I'm calling you to a place where you're allowing him to do a deeper work in the mechanism that actually is producing the decisions that you're making and the behaviors that we're seeing. It's this essence of conclusions, and it's your predecisional disposition that exists because of the stuff you've been reflecting on. Your action point this week, I just want to ask you, dig deeper in a sacrificial pursuit of these deeper desires of God. Dig deeper. In a sacrificial pursuit. Keyword, sacrificial. Looks different for everybody, but what's sacrificial for you? How are you sacrificially getting in the Word? How are you sacrificially finding a place of prayer? How are you sacrificially loving, serving, and giving in a way that people around you, their lives begin to be impacted? Sacrificially. Come on, let's stand. Lord, I just thank you that you're doing a deeper work in the deeper desires that exist within us. Some of us, our behaviors are frustrating our purpose because our desires are misaligned. For some reason, we find it surprising that we're reflecting on one thing and we're producing something else and we're not exactly sure why. 
And I pray that we would hear the call from the heart of God to align the reflections of our hearts and the focus of our minds to be aligned with the will, plan, and purpose of the Lord our God. The Lord our God who is one God. I pray we would be one wherever we go. We would be one when we're in crowds of people. We would be one when we're in differing crowds of people. And we'll be one when we're all by ourselves. Help us, Lord, to be at rest and to be at peace with being one because of you. In the name of Jesus, come on, just a a response moment. If the Lord's digging deep into some ground that needs to be broken up, some conclusions that have been misaligned from the purposes that you know God's called you to, just posture your hands and surrender. We just lift our hands in this place and we say, Lord, do the deepest work you desire to do. Lord, break up fallow ground, break through what may seem to be like concrete in our inner disposition. So a softening of our hearts and the soil of our lives, Lord, would be receptive to the seeds of the Word of God. We would do more than just be hearers, walk away and deceive ourselves, but we would truly become doers because your Word takes root and begins to produce a mighty harvest. I thank you, Lord Jesus. You came that we might have life, true life. That you would not only be the one who would redeem us, rescue us, and save us, but you would restore us and replenish us, not only as our Savior, but as our Lord, as we learn to walk with you every day for the rest of our lives. So here we are, Lord. We're not much, but we want to present what we have to you and invite you, Holy Spirit, Take control. Holy Spirit, lead us, guide us, direct us. Help us this week, not to merely read the book, but to learn what it means to sit with the author and to hear the voice of God. Not only in the way we have our devotions, but in the way we live throughout the course of every day. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, we're going to take just a few moments in worship. I, I, part of when I was watching the, um, how you doing, man? <laughs> You're good. <laughs> Thank you, David. First day on the job. I love that guy. I was watching yesterday uh, in, the, in the whole, uh, what's it called? You sent me the link. I talked about it earlier. Send, the send. And I listened to the speakers. And it was really powerful. And like um, one of the speakers, Francis Chan, he said, you know, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And he said, you know, the worship team, they'll get you revved up. They can't humble you. A speaker, they might get you revved up. They can't humble you. You have to humble yourself. And I remember as he finished speaking and he walked off and then it became this you know, time for worship, I, I recognized 
suddenly this mass of people went from one person exercising their gift to everybody having the opportunity to exercise their gift. And that's what worship really is. So come on. Would you just dig deep in a few moments of worship? Our prayer team is available. Our prayer team will be right at the back. And uh, if we can pray with you about anything in these few moments together, feel free. There's communion at the back of the center. There are giving stations. We want to conclude well when we gather around his word. Take that which God is stirring in your heart. And let's give it back to him in a place of worship just for these few moments.